Welcome to episode 120 of Your Kids Next Read podcast, in which we talk about books and reading for kids of all ages. I'm Alison Tate, author of Middle Grade Adventure Series, The Mapmaker Chronicles, The Outerband Cipher, The Maven and Reef Mystery Series, and my new middle grade novel, The First Summer of Callie McGee. I'm here with my co-host, the little bit husky, the little bit tired, Megan Daly, teacher librarian at Children's Books Daily and author of Raising Readers and editor of Teacher Teacher, a new anthology which is out now. And if you're thinking about teacher gifts for the end of the year already, I think put it on your list. Megan and I, along with our good friend, author Alison Rushby, are founders of the Your Kids Next Read community on Facebook. Search for Your Kids Next Read there to join us. So, my friend, what is occurring in the crisis of Megan this week? Look, I hope to get to the point in the year where we're saying the enthusiastic and the overjoyed and the full of energy. <laughs> remember you were effervescent one I time was, and I don't I remember was. those days. I remember those days. <laughs> oh, it's been a big year. Um, but look, I've been actually avoiding that big year and avoiding life in general in the last week or so by baking, a late night mm. baking. I've been making muffins and biscuits of all variety, ginger slices, preserved lemons. Mm. I've been massaging purple cabbage, making mm. sauerkraut. I mean, I nothing actually useful like our meal to feed four children, but I, um, I've been doing a bit of baking and a bit of cooking, which, you know, I often do when I'm stressed. So my stress levels, as my stress levels increase, so does my cooking. <laughs> What's interesting though, because you know, like if it all goes, you know, down, like if it all falls apart tomorrow, at we'll least be you fine. guys can live on muffins, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, we'll be fine. Muffins are an actual food group all by themselves. I think they're fine. We love muffins. Well, I have not been cooking. I've just been running. I've, been, I've just been running to catch up on admin. I just feel like I have not stopped this week. And I've also, though, wait a minute, I've also been writing. Can we just take a Ooh, moment? Yay. I know. I'm so excited. It has been a balm for my busy soul. Um, and, of course, I'm heading to Brisbane to see you. If all had gone to plan, we would actually be on a stage the day this episode drops at our live event. But life happens and we've had to change that plan a little bit. And I think being flexible on those plans is all you can actually be. So sadly, we've had to cancel the event, uh, but we are looking to reschedule once the chaos subsides a bit, once the effervescence comes back, once I stop (laughs) running, you know, like once all the things, once the stars align a bit better than they are at the moment. Um, And in the meantime, if you'd like a bit more of us beyond this podcast, because how could you possibly resist listening to us talk about how stressed we are and how (laughs) how many muffins we're making? We're so, I mean, honestly, we're just, it's just engaging listening, isn't it? Um, But if you'd like a little bit more than that, um, have a look at our newsletter on Substack or join the Facebook group, which is ramping up at the moment because, you know, the holidays are on the way. And everybody has Christmas in their sights and they're starting to think about that. So a lot of activity in there, people talking about different books and looking for different books. Um, So join us there if you um, would like to get some advice or some recommendations. Songlines, First Knowledges for Younger Readers by Margot Neal and Lynn Kelly is essential reading for 8 to 12-year-olds. This inviting introduction to Indigenous traditional knowledge with striking illustrations by Archibald winner Black Douglas, is available from 26 September. Right, Megan Daly, speaking of recommendations, oh, my segues are just on point today. <laughs> um, let's talk about the book mail because it's been a pretty good week. Like, I don't know about you, but I've received a few crackers this week, so I'd be interested to hear what you've got to talk about. 
Yeah, I feel like I'm always receiving crackers at the moment. Mm. It's I've had some excellent um, parcels dropped at the top of my driveway of late. Um, the ones that I'm going to share with you today are, you know, I've done a few middle grade and YAs lately, which has been unlike me. So I'm going back into my normal territory of picture books. And the first um, little recommendation I have is the Elephant and Piggy series by Mo Willems. Now, I'm not sure if these ones are brand new or have just come out in paperback, but they are a graphic novel type series, perfect for children who are just starting to learn to read. The entire books are told entirely in speech bubbles with Mm. quite repetitive use of familiar phrases. So they really are for parents that are looking for that kind of um, midway point between a classroom reader and a recreational read, I feel like this series would be just lovely. I've got in front of me, should I share my ice cream and <laughs> elephants cannot dance? Seriously, the answer to should I share my ice cream is always no. Is I mean, I'm sure that's not what the book <laughs> says, but <laughs> I've got to tell you that if that was my first, you know, and exactly. I would be running away hiding with my ice cream. I know. And I, I did read it with my year twos and I did I did say, you know, before we after we read the title, we talked about you know, what would the answer be. And they did all know that the answer was probably going to be that, you know, somebody's going to learn to share their ice cream. It's going to give us a good lesson. But in typical Mo Willems fashion, it's very sort of tongue in cheek, a bit mm. sassy, a bit sarcastic. Mm. I'll read you the blurb. Gerald is careful. Piggy is not. Piggy cannot help smiling. Gerald can. Gerald worries so that Piggy does not have to. Gerald and Piggy are best friends. Gerald has a big decision to make, but will he make it in time? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you can probably see where this is going. Gerald, say no. Just run away with your ice cream straight away. I know I am so giving the wrong message here, aren't I? Sorry. Yes. They're just just a really, really simple story, clearly, but just gorgeous. And, I mean, you'll know Mo Willems from his pigeon books, um, like Don't Let the Pigeon Drive the Bus, which have won multiple awards. There's just this beautiful... Oh, look, it's not really a simplicity. There's a seeming simplicity to his mm. stories, but there's, as I said, this kind of Very clever. sarcasm. Yeah. They're clever. Very I think clever. I'm Gerald. I'm sort of the Gerald, the warrior, the glass half empty person, and Piggy's a little bit like Piglet in Winnie the Pooh. He's just always happy and smiling. No, so see, I really, I just love that Do you know what? People series. would look at us and they would yeah, know yeah. that yeah. I am Gerald and you are Piggy. Always. Do you think? Oh, Lord, Yes. Absolutely. I am oh. the Eeyore to your Winnie the Pooh. Okay. But I told you I told you about my book week presentation for staff, didn't I? No. No. Okay. So, we, no. well, I don't know. Here's a little segue for you in my book mail. We were doing like I was talking in the staff meeting about book week um, and what book characters we might all be. And my nickname growing up was Eeyore because I was a little bit Eeyore. <laughs> we were both Eeyore. Imagine that. Like how would how did, how did this happen? Well. I know. That's very funny. Uh, oh, all right. My next my next book is called Beware the Argula and it's by Christy Berger. It's published by Magabala Books. This is a beautiful First Nations story and the illustrations are just gorgeous. They're incredibly bright and beautiful. This is for an early childhood audience. I'll read you the blurb. It may seem like a simple story, but beware the Agula. 
is also a warning to everyone to be careful when they go out bush. I know these Argula exist. I have felt their presence and there is rock art depicting the Argula along the Kimberley coast. Some people in the Kimberley and all over Australia call the Argula the hairy man or the bush devil. Mm. Now, we've probably all heard stories about the hairy man before. I um, remember reading a book many years ago to a grade three class about this, and I kind of really like this picture book as exactly what it says, an example of, um, you know, why you should be careful when you are in the bush. It's about two boys who go fishing and they're unaware that the bush devil is watching them and helping itself to all of their fish. The boys finally see the Argula's glowing red eyes, but it's a little bit too late and they become the Argula's next meal. When they oh. are rescued, I know, I know, <laughs> right? What? I know. I know. <laughs> that went in a direction I wasn't expecting. <laughs> you wasn't expecting. It's really clever. When they were rescued, when they're rescued, they're unconscious and they have to be shocked back to consciousness by fire ants. Oh, and once what? I know. No, no, it's really clever. It's the wow. second. I know, it's really clever. Early childhood to middle primary audience, despite all I've just said, but it's the second title in the Kimberley Art Center series. And um it's this is a story that was told to Christy as a child. And the Argula is not considered to be a myth, but it's thought thought to actually exist because there's rock art, as I said, featuring the Argula found along the Kimberley coastline. Mm-hmm. Really good First Nations story. Great one to add to the It sounds great. The and, and I'm, you know, like I'm shrieking and stuff, but I love the unexpectedness of that. I do I, too. I just think that's fantastic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm also a fan of a cautionary tale. Please don't oh, step too. on anything in the bush, people. Eel, right there. Look at her. <laughs> exactly. Right there. I know. Look at me go. I'm and a so fan of a cautionary tale. <laughs> Let's let's put that under like as a meme, I reckon, on social media. That'd be funny. I've, I'm going very uplifting with the next one because this next one is by um, the illustrations are by Sophie Beer, and there is nothing cautionary or eorish about Sophie Beer. She is all lightness and happiness. My next book is Good Morning, My Dear, and it's by first time author Mel Amon, and it's illustrated by Sophie Beer. This one is utter pink and yellow and bright red gorgeousness. Join Banjo and his mum on what starts as a straightforward day out, only to have it upended by homophones. I oh, love fantastic. That. It's um so I mean obviously you probably will know what a homophone is. It's two words with the same pronunciation but with different meanings. And it turns this narrative into the most delightfully observed tale. It starts with on Sunday morning, the sun arose into the sky bright and early but sun is S-O-N. Next, I brushed my hair and put on my new pair of shoes, but the words are homophones in there, and mum painted her nails before we set out for the day. So the text is um, has contains all of the homophones and then the illustrations by Sophie B, which, as I said, are just all shades of pinks and blues and yellows, are um, describing the homophone in in pictures. Children are just going to love, love it. They are going to love wordplay, it. and yep. it's really clever. I can see a lot of use for it in early childhood settings at school. Um, and Sophie Beer just I feel like I'm seeing her everywhere at the yeah. moment, but I am not unhappy with this situation. I think this is such a great illustration too mm. of how picture books can tell two different stories at the same time. Yeah. One in the illustrations, one yeah. in the text. Uh, yeah. Very, very clever. I think very it's great. Clever. Yeah, really mm. good. She's very piglet, I feel. She's very piglet. And oh, Tigger. Yes. Yep, Tigger. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> bounding, bounding along. Um, all right, well, I'm actually, I'm going to the other, I'm not going good morning, my dear. I'm going to the other end of the day. I'm going to Nights and I'm going to a picture book called Night Song, 
by Sally Soyol Han. Is it Soyol? Because <gasps> she, yeah. Yeah, it is. And she's the tiny wonders person. The tiny oh. wonders person. I believe she was at, was she at Brisbane Writers Festival? Did I imagine that? Did you, oh. were you part of that? I, I did not remember. have her there, but oh, I have okay. seen her around the traps. Yes. Well, this one called Night Song is out on the 3rd of October through UQP Books and it literally arrived today. And I was so drawn to the cover, which mm. I absolutely adored. It's this deep, dark night sky full of stars. And if you've ever heard me uh, talk about the inspiration for the Mapmaker Chronicles, you know that it was uh, um, partly inspired by that feeling of staring out into that night sky, that endless night sky with the stars. So I was just like, right, okay, what is this all about? Um, So Sally's debut picture book, Tiny Wonders, was shortlisted in the 2023 CBCA Awards, I think for New Illustrator, Mm -hmm. and this one is just wonderful. Um, It really appealed to me as well because I've been writing a scene in a new book in which the character is preoccupied with the sound of a city at night versus the country, and the country is what she's used to, and this picture book focuses on the sights and sounds of a dark night in a rural location when a bus breaks down, and it's just lovely. It's got all of this on and out of pier in it, and it's the illustrations are, again, we're in that limited palette, which you and I love Mm -hmm, so much. mm -hmm. Let me read the back for you. A joyful story about listening to the world around you. After a big day in the noisy city, Lewis and his mother are heading home, but on the way their bus breaks down, leaving them stuck on the side of a country road. It's still and quiet, but when Lewis ventures into a nearby field, he discovers that nature is full of wonder and music, and it is just stunning. It's not very cautionary about wandering around in the dark in a field, but I'm still (laughs) on board for this one. Um, So, yeah, Night Song, and it's coming out on the 3rd of October. The other one that I have in my hot little hands is Creatures of Camouflage and Mimicry by Sammy Bailey. Um, Now, for me, a new Sammy Bailey book is always reason for celebration. I just love her work. I love her illustrations. And this looks like the first in a new series, um, you know, Amazing Animal Stories, How We Came to Be. And it's sort of, um, it's again, a fabulously illustrated information book about animals, different format to her illustrated encyclopedias. So this one is sort of more square, it's chattier, um, but it is just as stunning and informative. It's out on the 27th of September with Ashette. I will read you the back. Discover the secrets behind some of the natural world's most unusual creatures of camouflage and mimicry. Find out about the chameleon who changes colour to communicate with its friends, the burrowing owl who copies the sound of a fierce animal to protect itself from threats, and the harlequin filefish that has come to smell like coral to blend in with its surroundings. You'll be amazed by how these clever creatures use disguise and imitation to find food, send out warning signals, and most of all, avoid predators. And I'm just realising it's actually the second in the series because there was also How We Came to Be Surprising Mm. Sea Creatures. So gorgeous, absolutely stunning. There's a bit of foil on the cover, which, you know, you can never go wrong with a bit of foil on the cover. And I think it's, you know, Sammy Bailey fans and and anyone who hasn't discovered her yet will be absolutely wrapped. And that was our book mail for this week. From award-winning author Alison Rushby and Walker Books Australia comes The Ghost Locket a captivating supernatural mystery set in a house haunted by secrets from the past. The Ghost Locket is perfect for readers 8 plus who like their reads a little bit spooky. Find out more at alisonrushby.com. Right, Megan Daly, it is time for our bingo question of the week. And 
This week, I've got something a little bit different. Um, I'm calling this We Have Some Thoughts. Um, we don't usually editorialise on this podcast, preferring to inform, entertain and educate rather than, you know, persuade, vent, mm, rant, whatever. Mm. But this week, we have a few thoughts. Um, it's the season of literary awards and so it's again the season of considering the place of children's literature in the pantheon of Australian publishing. Now, I've written about this before in a piece called Waving from the Kids' Table, which I will link in the show notes, um, which you'll also find on my blog at alisontate.com. But the essence of it is that children's authors often joke about being placed on the kids' table at the wedding. Um, So in part, it reads, quality children's literature is essential for building literacy skills, and yet children's authors are often overlooked for awards, interviews, and media coverage. In fact, I often joke that we are at the kids' table at the wedding when it comes to these things, shoved in a corner while the grown-ups get on with their posh events. Anyone who's ever met me will know that I'm not good at sitting in the corner, cue dirty dancing references, (laughs) and look for ways to advocate and promote children's literature in any way I can. So, in essence, it is one of the reasons we started the Your Kids Next Week community and the podcast in the first place, so that we could advocate for our own section of the industry. But then, you know, there's another awards event in which the host thinks it's hilarious to use a childlike voice to talk about children's literature, essentially putting it in the corner and sort of like somehow diminishing the the, mm. the very real um, achievement of the author that won that particular um, award. And that's something that happened recently at an event that one of us attended. So instead of celebrating the wonderful breadth of writing talent displayed by Australian authors writing for children, we're going to go for the immature jokes. And instead of treating Australian authors who write for children and their publishers as fully functioning adults who make conscious writing and publishing choices and are doing our best to create, you know, not only the readers of the future but the writers of the future, we're going to somehow treat them as lesser than the authors and publishers writing important books for adults. Um, Having been to too many writing festivals where children's authors are sent to schools and then excluded from the main programs, I'm not talking about anything new here, but that doesn't mean it does not sting every time. It's not like I haven't spent thousands of hours interviewing authors or talking about writing to adults as children, um, you know, as well as children for more than a decade. Um, And yet, you know, recently I was in a bookshop and they were saying that they were looking for someone to do an in-conversation with an author who writes for adults and I said, well, I could do it. And they looked at me as though I had grown a second head and I really, like after seven years of the So You Want to Be a Writer podcast, I really felt like that was probably unnecessary. Um, But the worst part is I've recently been out and about in schools and as have many of my children's author friends and have witnessed firsthand the obvious decline of, of the love of reading in our kids. So, In a grade five classroom, three quarters of the kids, you know, put their hands up when I ask who loves to read. In grade six, it's half. And by the time we get to grade seven, I had one group of 60 where it was lucky to be 10%. And it was a fantasy writing workshop and they were supposed to have read the book that, you know, that that we were talking about. So I think instead of pushing children's literature to one side with a joke, we might need to actually focus on it and support children's authors, even if, maybe particularly if, you are writing for adults. Without KidLit to build readers, there will be no readers to enjoy your witty, pithy writing as adults. And given what I'm seeing out on the front line, that gives you maybe seven years to enjoy your career. So I I think the publishing industry as a whole needs to band together to join children's authors, teachers and parents and get on board for advocating 
for reading in kids and for well-resourced school libraries. The difference between schools that have them and those that don't is really obvious when you are visiting a lot of schools. I'm just going to say that, you know, right now. And it's not the fault of teachers or the teacher librarians who are working so very, very hard. We need help. And, you know, you need help if you want readers in the future as well. And frankly, I think if you can't respect all areas of literature at a literary awards ceremony, then maybe you need to consider sitting that one out. Yep. Those it's, are my thoughts. It's a really, I have very little further to add. It is one of the reasons, I guess, sometimes I feel a little Eeyore-ish and quite exhausted because I feel like I have been advocating for my job as a teacher librarian for the entire time I have been a teacher librarian, despite working at fabulous schools, I have been involved in literature festivals and I have to say my experience has been excellent, but I always feel like I'm waving from the kids' table at those literature festivals. The children's program is always the you know, least funded and the least recognised and the least space in the program. But I always say, as I did in my... Um, introduction to myself at the Brisbane Writers Festival in the program, I said that without children and young adults to read and attend literature festivals and literary events, you do not have adult readers who will attend literature festivals and literary events. Uh Children's literature is what is going to make the adult readers and teacher librarians, school libraries and public libraries and fabulous library staff is what makes our readers of the future. And it is just, yeah, I guess we're just at that point where where we've we've done our literary season for the children's lit community and it still feels a little bit flat. And we're allowed to sometimes, as you say, step off from our entertaining podium and, and instead have some thoughts. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for listening to our thoughts anyway. And <laughs> thanks for thanks for supporting my thoughts, Megan. And let's move on to our quick tips for the week. And um, my neighbours have decided to ride their mini motorbike around the backyard. So I'm not sure Good. if you're hearing that, but it's always perfect timing for this kind of stuff. Um, and I am hoping that it, you can't hear too much of it. But anyway... So, I can't hear anything at all, but I, I do love that your neighbours are part of our podcast now. I, I wonder if they ever listen I, to our honestly, podcast. Honestly, I feel like I should just invite <laughs> them in and they should just have their conversations and their motorbikes in my actual office. It would probably work better. Um, so what's your quick tip for the week, Megan? My picture book is how picture books can be used to share student learning. So in term four at the school that I work at, um, year six students work on a really big passion project. It's a fabulous project that we work towards pretty much all year and they showcase their passion for a particular area of maybe the environment or um, some area of you know economic development, some of them are looking at fast fashion, all manner of different things. And they showcase this information that they work on for pretty much a whole term that they've researched in a creative way, such as in a slam poem, perhaps a performance, perhaps a video that might be able to be shared kind of Instagram realish type style, but not on Instagram because we're in grade six. And we get these year six students to really um, put together a creative piece which which shares their passion with a wide audience. Now, what I've done for the last couple of days is workshops on picture book creation and storyboarding as a way of sharing your passion project. And I've just found it It's been fantastic. I've really enjoyed sharing the story of the creation of my picture book, The Beehive. Mm. 
And I've talked to the students about why I think a picture book is a great way to share information. Now, my picture book is a narrative nonfiction, which works really well in this context because students are sharing information. And I've talked to kids about the fact that stories are sticky. Stories stick in a head of a reader better than if you were to just read out dry facts about poverty one child was looking at. And they were looking about poverty around the world and, and what could be done about this. You could put a whole stack of facts about poverty um, on a board and that could be your sharing of information or you could embed those facts within a story, a really powerful mm. narrative about a child living in poverty. And so we talked about how stories are sticky and how they share in a much more powerful way than just facts. And then I've done some work on storyboarding with students and we've mapped out their passion project area of interest in a narrative arc. And it's been such an interesting exercise to go through. And it occurred to me that it wasn't just for this passion project that this would be useful. It was really good to have students sit down and storyboard a beginning, a middle and an end, almost like a narrative, absolutely a narrative for their project. And I thought, gosh, this is such an interesting way to share learning to showcase learning. And we talked as well about the fact that there were so many different forms of picture books that a student could create from graphic novels to a traditional picture book. Some students said, oh, look, I'm not that great at illustrating, but would I be able to use an AI image generator, which I think is a really interesting technology to start using with students. We can't shy away from these sorts of things. We also talked about using photographs to illustrate a book and some students that really were into illustration were just so excited by the, by the idea they could share their information in a book. And then, of course, we talked about the fact that you can print multiple copies of your book. So they were just oh. totally on board with that. So I really just wanted to um, throw it out there that picture books can be a really useful way to share and assess student learning. Fantastic. What a great idea. I love I love that idea because, you know, a lot, often they will go to a reel or they'll go to mm, whatever, but mm. the idea of going to a book, again, it's just about embedding that literature into their lives. It is, I, I think yeah. that's a fantastic thing to do. All right. Well, that's us done. Like we've had our, we've had our moment, we've had our thoughts, mm -hmm. we've had our chat, and now we're moving on. So what are you up to this week? Well, I'm continuing to cook um, and avoid life. So my teenager, um, speaking of reels, does love watching a few cooking reels and um, she's well into the kimchi phase. So we have jars of kimchi all over our kitchen at the moment, different varieties of kimchi, different flavours. <laughs> so I'm going to help her massage some cabbage to make yet another round of kimchi. This one we're hoping is going to have a more redder tone to it and be less somehow redder but less fiery in taste. So, I don't know, we're on to about our 20th batch of kimchi. <laughs> oh, I don't know. My life is hilarious. What can I say? <laughs> I feel like there's a picture book in this. All right. Um, well, I'll be doing some more writing. Hooray. Um, I'm super excited about my new projects. And also I'm staying with Alison Rushby and she will be whipping me into shape, of course. <laughs> I'm just prepared to be, you know, whipped basically. Yep, yep. Um, so where will we find you until we meet again, Megan? You'll find me at childrensbooksdaily.com and you'll find me on Instagram and Facebook at, at childrensbooksdaily. And you will find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You will find all of our show notes at yourkidsnextread.com and you might get a little surprise when you go there because we've been doing a little bit of exciting behind-the-scenes work, but we'll have some more about that next week. Um, and you will also find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. 
and we look forward to catching up with you again next time. See you later.